I'll make this very brief. <laughs> okay. This is Dave Gerald, a true seeker of the way, uh, who started coming to Valley Streams a few years ago, and has been very, um, he's been very here ever since. And I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing his story and um, the forces and uh, events that brought him to our door and uh, keep him coming through it. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. So a way-seeking mind talk, which seemed odd to me as I don't recall my mind really actively seeking a way so much as just kind of randomly bumped into things along the way. Um, I was born in Huntington, West Virginia, where my parents had been born and raised and grew up in Dayton, Ohio, which is not that far from there. Uh, both of my mother's grandfathers had been Protestant ministers, and uh, both my parents grew up attending church regularly. Among my earliest memories as a very young child was my mom explaining about God and having me say my prayers at night, kneeling down by my bedside. I believe that I found this all a bit confounding at first. We were Episcopalians, as this was how my mother had been raised. My dad had grown up in a Baptist household. His father's best friend was Jewish, encountered the local Episcopal minister as another good friend. Uh, my sisters and I uh, feel fortunate that as we were growing up, uh, that neither religious prejudice nor bigotry of any kind was taught or permitted in our home. I went to Sunday school and heard Bible stories and sang children's hymns. We attended St. Andrew's Episcopal Church faithfully and regularly. I was active in the congregation and in my teens uh, participated as an acolyte and in the youth group that met on Sunday evenings. And in my early years, I accepted what I was told without much thought. This country was a much more religious kind of place in the 50s and 60s. And there were few in our middle-class Midwestern industrial city who did not participate one way or another. Our little world and our neighborhood, for that matter, was divided into Christians and Jews, Christians were subdivided into Catholics and Protestants, with Protestants further subdivided into our various denominations. In America, we were told we can worship as we please. This was just as well for we were the only Episcopalians on the block. In those days, Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists were found only within the pages of National Geographic. My feelings on the matter were further formed by those sensations common to much of humankind uh, throughout our species history. Certainly there were times at church and out in nature I felt the stirrings that we associate with touching the divine. My father gave me a lot to think about during my later high school years. He didn't talk much about these things, but he made sure that I gave certain issues particularly civil rights, serious thought. Uh, 
One summer, maybe between my junior and senior years, he gave me uh, three books to read. One was To Kill a Mockingbird. The other two were about life under apartheid in South Africa. Cry the Beloved Country by Alan Patton was one, and I, I don't recall the second. It was during these years that our own American apartheid of the Jim Crow era was being dismantled. And it was not an easy process. My senior year in high school was notable for race riots, white versus black gang fights really, taking place in the halls of our school on a regular basis. In those days, the term anti-racist wasn't really used. The issue then was segregation versus integration. It was around this time during the conversation, I spoke about being anti-war in anti-segregation. My father stopped, interrupted me and stopped me short. Don't be anti, he said in a very serious tone of voice, and I, I, I was rather dumbfounded. Be pro. Don't be anti-war. Be pro-peace. Don't be anti-segregation. Be pro-integration. Argue the positive points of the changes you want to see, not the negativities of others' views. That made an impact on me that shaped my thinking for the rest of my life. My mother stressed awareness of other people's feelings. Her lectures were prompted by my bad behavior, uh, were always prefaced with, how would you feel if someone treated you that way? And she always held me fully accountable for whatever mess I was in regardless of the circumstances. Over the years of sitting in the pew and listening to the Bible readings and listening to sermons, certain passages stood out and resonated with me. I'm going to read a couple of them. Uh, one was from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus laid out the actions of those who found favor in his eyes and those who did not. Then the king shall say to those on his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see thee hungry and feed thee, or thirsty and give thee drink? When, we did, when did we see thee a stranger and welcome thee, or, or naked and clothe thee? And when did we see thee sick or in prison and visit thee? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, uh, when did we see thee hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison? And did not minister to thee. And he will answer to them. Truly I say to you. As you did not do it for one of the least of these. You did not 
for me. This struck me. There are no caveats here. This was how we were to treat everyone. And it strongly implies that everyone we meet is Jesus. God come to earth in human form. Another, and a favorite of my father's, is from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There are many others. Let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. Judge not, as you would not be judged. The Sermon on the Mount and its many wisdoms. Do not worry about the future. If the sparrows are fed, you will be too. The teachings on forgiveness, the most striking, I think, was as Jesus was being tortured to death for heresy, his plea to God to forgive his killers, for they know not what they do. And karma was explained. As you sow, so shall you reap. And I have seen that quoted in contemporary Buddhist writings. These are the lessons I heard growing up that sunk in over time and formed my perceptions of right and wrong. The conundrum, however, was that adherence to this line of thought was not what defined one as a Christian. The beliefs that were and are required for that were set forth in the creed that we recited in every service. And these are a belief in the virgin birth and Christ's resurrection, among other things. As a child, these miraculous events were enthralling, made good theater, and were presented as proof that Jesus was really the one and only Son of God. For a seven-year-old, it was an easy sell. As a 17-year-old, I had my doubts. Coupled with coming to a point in life and I was employing a little critical thinking, was that we were living in a time that demanded critical thinking. Civil rights, an unjust and unwarranted war, distrust in the government and self-serving politicians, environmental degradation, sound familiar? We're at the forefront of everybody's consciousness, regardless of their personal views, and views varied greatly. By the time I graduated from high school, I had become disillusioned as my experiences were at odds with much of what I had been told was true. This disillusionment was powerful. I felt angry and distrustful. 
I saw hypocrisy everywhere, especially at church. And once I started college, my days of regular church attendance came to an end. And as the saying goes, when one door closes, another opens. For me, it was the door of perception. And once it opened a crack and I took a peek inside, I blew it off its hinges. This was uh, at a time that psychedelics were in their heyday and there were plenty to go around. These perception-altering drugs were reported to induce heightened spiritual awareness, and I immediately found this to be true. I felt that I was part of some great new adventurous exploration into the depths of consciousness on the vanguard of a great awakening of humankind. And while I did sincerely hold this point of view, looking back at it all, I think I convinced myself of this simply as an excuse to get high a lot. As Ram Dass, a true pioneer in the direction, pointed out, they can get you in the door, but they don't let you stay there. Looking back, I can see I was spiritually naive. I saw myself as an heir to the beats, and with rucksack and pen and notebook, took off hitchhiking back and forth across the country. To cut to the chase, this was all very delusional. My poetry was, for the most part, bad. And uh, I pretty much enjoyed myself, but any spiritual advances were meager. It was during this period that I had my first brush with Eastern religions. I took a book out of the library that had chapters on uh, various different paths. Taoism stood out. It made sense to me. And I still have a copy of the Tao Te Ching that I bought in the early 70s. The Four Noble Truths also made a strong impression, though I didn't follow up with it at all at that time. I took a long tour of Mexico on trains and buses. The thing that made the most lasting impression was the enormous scope of the poverty. There was an entire beggar culture of mutilated people. It was said they were disfigured as children so that they would have a means of drawing sympathy and donations. I recall taking the train south of, out of Mexico City at, through mile after mile after mile of people living in cardboard boxes. How they managed to live, I do not know. Eventually, I found my way to San Francisco because in those days, everyone found their way to San Francisco. It was as far as I could go without getting my feet wet. I was in my mid-twenties and was comfortable with myself. My views on spiritual matters were settled in that I felt what I felt and I was fine with it. In my childhood, it had been impressed on me that there is a creator God who passes judgment on us. And I no longer bought into that, but believed then as I do now that there is something out there that keeps all this afloat. But I'll be danged if I can put a name on it or explain how it works. The Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. My sense of spirituality then and now is really based on morality and ethics as opposed to uh, the, any concern with the hereafter. While the theology of my youth had been discarded, the lessons on how to live and interact with others had not. I came to realize the Bible readings in church that many heard but few listened to we're giving us the key to a contented life. 
kindness, compassion, gratitude, generosity of ourselves and acceptance of others brings us peace, I am sure. I carried on in this vein for quite a while. I had abandoned one ritualistic and dogmatic religion and gave no thought to picking up another. Got married, raised kids, worked as a project manager in real estate development and construction for many years. I spent as much time as I could in the mountains. I never missed an opportunity to run, ski, snowshoe, backpack, and just run them up through the Sierra. It is here that I feel, uh, feel a sense of the divine, staring at the Milky Way on a clear night at 12,000 feet fills me with wonder at how we are both so insignificant and yet so incredibly blessed to be able to witness and be a conscious part of this. 2007 was a year of great change for me. I found myself out of work and then I, easy for me to say, unable to find a new job in my field. I came to understand that there were a lot of other construction managers also looking for work. In another year, we would all realize that this was just one of the first indications of the coming economic collapse that would affect the whole world. At the same time, my knees had decided that they had had quite enough of running and skiing and going up and down hill. These activities made them hurt sharply and at high volume. I decided to get into paddle sports, and the next thing I knew, I was working at a kayak shop in Rancho Cordova. This was not an easy transition. I had established my sense of identity around what I did. I was a project manager making a pretty decent living. People answered to me. I was a runner and a backcountry skier. And uh, suddenly, I wasn't any of these things. I was a new hire at a retail store, making just above minimum wage and trying to learn a new store, new sport. I would wake up at night wondering just who I was. It was through this that I came to understand that we are not what we do. Once I gained this understanding, I enjoyed my time there. I don't know how we made it but we did. I found that this experience reinforced something that I had felt in prior times when I thought I had uh, been upended in life, that when we let go of the past, no matter how comfortable we had been in it and work with the current situation, things turned to turn out just fine. Sometimes it takes a while, though. So I, I worked there for almost 10 years and had a lot of fun. I was able to take whitewater and coastal kayaking classes for free, met some really cool people. During one class towards the end of my run there, the instructor suggested I would benefit from Pilates or yoga. I checked them out online, and yoga was cheaper, so I went with it. This turned out to be one of the most significant turning points of my life. And about the same time that I started with the yoga, and as far as I was concerned, completely unrelated, I was looking for something to read one day, browsing through the bookshelf at home, and off to one corner was a dog-eared, faded old copy of Thoreau's Walden. I pulled it out and saw that based on a folded over 
page corner. I had apparently made it to page 16 at some point long before. Anyway, I started in on it again and this time made it all the way through. And meanwhile, back at the yoga studio, one of the teachers of the beginner's class I had been attending mentioned the great Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita, a time or two. Well, in Walden, Thoreau had also mentioned the Bhagavad Gita a time or two. So I read it for myself and was fascinated by it. In it, Krishna lays out for his friend Arjuna not only how one should live one's life, but the attitudes one should hold while doing so. The Gita itself is but a small section of one of the great ancient Indian epic poems, the Mahabharata. It and its companion, the Ramayana, are two of the oldest epic poems in the world comparable to the Iliad and the Odyssey in our culture. These tales are just nuts, kind of like the Lord of the Rings uh, mixed with Star Wars. There are crazy plot twists, bizarre characters, rambling side stories at every turn, and throughout, the ramifications of karma and dharma although both had different meanings than we are accustomed to here in Buddhism. Karma in these tales is an invoice that will be paid in some future life or is being paid now for some long past indiscretion. Dharma is presented more as a combination of duty and destiny as opposed to a set of teachings. I also read Yogananda's autobiography of a yogi. Paramahansa Yogananda came to the United States from India about 100 years ago to introduce yoga to the West. His autobiography not only accounts his life, but also uses different episodes to demonstrate similarities between yoga's teachings and the Bibles. He used numerous references from the Gospels and the Hebrew prophets to make his points. I found this very interesting. Uh, and the outcome was uh, suddenly developed a curiosity about, curiosity about Eastern philosophies. Along with this, the yoga teachers also spoke a good bit about meditation, so I gave that a try. Started out slowly, just following my breath for a very short while after I finished my morning exercises and noticed a calming effect right away. I found it as uh, difficult as a beginner to concentrate on the breath consistently and found a mantra to follow, which worked better for me at that time. I started attending the meditation classes offered at the yoga studio. Before too long, I was sitting for 15 minutes, then 20, then uh, up to a half hour and more. I had a good teacher who had a set program of instruction that went on for about six or eight weeks. She started with following the breath and moved on to breathing into different parts of the body, focused on the chakras and the final week or two given to mantra meditation. At about the time this series of lessons came to an end, my teacher gave me a reading list of several books that she suggested. I don't remember the others, but I do remember it included Thich Nhat Hanh's The Art of Living. I read it was totally taken in and read it again. Some parts were revelatory and others I struggled to comprehend. 
Certainly, his use of karma and dharma were not the same as I understood from the Indian and yoga-oriented books that I had read. I was determined to learn what I could about Buddhism. At some point, I was looking around on the internet, and lo and behold, there was a place not too far away called the San Francisco Dharma Center, or the Sacramento Dharma Center, excuse me. What first got me interested in this place that it had day-long retreats at a reasonable cost. By this time, I was sitting for an hour every morning, and I saw that the Sacramento Buddhist Meditation Group had a one-day sit coming up that weekend, so I signed up and attended. It went well enough, so I went to another a couple of months later. I considered participation in one of the sanghas. My first inclination was insight meditation, as I knew a few folks from yoga who had participated in the 10-day Vipassana retreats, and that seemed intriguing. But the Sim group met on Thursday evenings, and at the time, I had a conflict with that. The Buddhist meditation group seemed logical, but it would have gotten me home later on Sunday night than I wanted. The Zen Sangha met on Monday night, which was actually ideal, but I understood Zen to be a very serious undertaking steeped in ancient ritual. And I wasn't quite ready for that. A few months went by and I was ready for another all-day retreat, and the soonest one was Zen. By that time, I had read a number of things that included references to Dogen and had read Suzuki Roshi's Beginner's Mind. I liked the notion of taking one's practice into everyday life. So I signed up for the full day sitting, figuring, what the heck, why not go once and see what it's about? I went, I sat, and I went back on Monday. I went back the Monday after that. And well, here we are several years later. So what made it stick? For one thing, the psychological and philosophical aspects fascinate me. I find the Mahayana path to be profound. From the Lotus Sutra to Nagarjuna and Shantideva to Dogen to Suzuki Roshi, Reb Anderson, Norman Fisher, Joanna Macy, the countless others, the great variety of teachings through millennia in varied cultures touch on many aspects of our experiences. At one point, not long after I began coming here regularly, Jim made a comment in reference to the chance that over time they work their way into our DNA, and I found that, yes, they do. Moreover, So much of what Zen is about simply reflected and reinforced how I looked at life in the first place. After a while, it came to me, I had always been a Zen Buddhist, I just hadn't realized it. There are a number of little things connected with Zen that make it a comfortable fit. I've always appreciated the Japanese aesthetic. I like Chinese and Japanese poetry. Basho is a favorite of mine, as uh, much for his prose as for his haiku. I was a fan of Gary Snyder and the Beats long before I became interested in Zen. And as deep and complex as the teachings of Zen may be, I find the style of practice to be simple, clear, and elegant. Classical, one might say. 
But all of this would uh, just be an intellectual pursuit or a hobby if it didn't have an impact on my life, and it does. And this can be hard to articulate. Uh, without a doubt, my practice helped keep me grounded through the months of isolation and social upheaval during the height of the pandemic, and it brought peace when I lost cherished family members. I'm now at a place that allows me to contemplate the completion of my own journey through this beautiful, though often brutal life. I can look back and see that I often search for a way out. I came to understand that some ways are slowly or swiftly self-destructive, while others peer into an existence in life beyond our ordinary vision. I find that I have known the most contentment and acceptance of myself and this perplexing life by quietly looking and listening within and examining the jumbled contents laid up through action, speech, and thoughts and sorting through the motivation and intentions behind them. Sitting with only my thoughts for company I was able to face the past and contemplate the ramifications of actions taken and opportunities missed. And over time, with great effort, forgive myself for a lifetime of errors, for all the ancient twisted karma. For me, this was crucial and liberating, for once I accepted my own shortcomings and forgave myself, my compassion for others flowed more freely feeling gratitude for life and acting with kindness are often difficult, but I believe these are crucial to contentment in life. And that pretty much brings things up to date. I should say that preparing this talk, which was composed over the past few months, gave me a lot to sit with and think about. Looking at these past editions of myself, I have to say I really have a really hard time relating to them now. It's as if entirely different people would took turns inhabiting a single consciousness, handing memories and the consequences of their actions one to another up the line. I came to understand that I am not tied or weighed down by any of these past iterations. While they collectively are what brought me here tonight in front of you, I'm free to travel on in whatever direction appears most appropriate. And as for all the stories and lessons, old and new, Bodhidharma's interview with the emperor pretty much sums it up for me. Who am I? I still don't know. Thank you. Any questions? Fire away, and if I don't know the answer, I'll make something up. Well, then, no hands? Cool. <laughs> Kenny. I don't really have a question. 
So you didn't ever get tempted by like Rinzai Zen and the koan world? And well, a this is the only game in town, and, and no, not 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 really. Uh, koans throw me for a loop. I'd rather just I'd rather just sit and uh, study. Thank you. <laughs> that was a very good talk. You, Thank you yeah. pretty much laid it all out, and can't really. I had a lot of I had a lot of time. <laughs> Justin, you you said that there's a um, you had read the Bhagavad Gita and studied, um, you know, understood or looked into that tradition of uh, an understanding of karma and um, uh, what was the other thing you said? Re re karma and um, uh, dharma. dharma. Karma and Dharma. How that was different from in Buddhism. I know more about the probably that Hindu, those Hindu traditions. I don't know. And I, I, I assume they were same, the same. And so and I'm curious about what the difference is between the Buddhist understanding of those things and but that's probably way too deep to go into right now. It just piqued my curiosity. Well, I, just the way I understand karma through the Buddhist lens, um, is our, our past actions are what got us here now what our intentions and motivations are at this moment determine our future. Uh, you, know, the, the, you know, the past will follow us around, but we can make the choice to turn it around at any time. Dharma seems to have a number of meanings in Buddhism, but the most common one is the Buddhist teachings and living by the Buddhist teachings. Um, and these are both kind of, uh, I, I am not a Zen teacher. Um, but this is, this is my understanding of, uh, of those things. Uh, you can do a good bit of, I'm sure a good bit of reading on both. Susan. Okay. Oh, Susan. Thank she's you armed and dangerous. She's got the microphone. Huh? You've got the microphone. You're armed and dangerous. I got the microphone. Yeah. Um, thank you for a really, really good talk. Um, oh, well, thank you. I was struck by the practicalities, the pragma, pragmatism that was throughout the talk. You seem to find spirituality, or you can comment on this, do you seem, do you find spirituality a bedrock, a guiding light, a practical application 
in life. Uh, I, 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 that's what I was getting from your talk, that there wasn't any highfalutin stuff going on. This was, this was just very practical. Well, pretty unhighfalutin, I think. <laughs> there were points that I kind of flirted with highfalutin, and it just wasn't me. <laughs> the uh, I'm not even sure about the term spirituality, to be honest. I, I mean, you know, the um, I look at things. I think more in terms of ethics and behavior, motivations, and intentions. The, uh, what happens after we leave this plane, I have no idea and really have no opinion. You know, I, my sisters are very Christian and, you know, they hope that their beliefs are correct and they go to heaven when they die and if that's the way it works, I'm sure they'd be ripe candidates for it. Um, reincarnation never made much sense to me because if I don't remember my past lives in this one and I won't remember my future, this one in future lives, and in any event, I'll never be Dave Gerald again. I'm not quite sure how I could be reborn. Uh, but there again, I... One thing I do like about Zen and Buddhism is that it stresses personal experience. And if I've had any personal experience with dying, I don't recall it well enough to use it as a basis for making judgments. Thanks. You're welcome. Oh, Linda. Hi, Linda. Hi. Um, yeah, I think we have similar approaches to, to Buddhism in, in that regard. And it, it strikes me that we're in good company. Uh, I remember one of the first speakers that I heard when I started going to um, SBMG a couple centuries ago. Uh, and he uh, he started his talk pretty much by saying um, that Buddhism is a way of life, not a religion. And that just really struck me um, when he said it. And it's kind of the way I look at it, too. Um, it's a it's a guide. Lots of guiding teachers teachings about the way to live. So. We're in good company, I'm sure. Yeah, I, certainly there are those who consider it a religion. I, I guess I, my hang up is just on the word religion. Yeah. So yeah. you know, so it's it's easier for me to say that it's a way of life. It's a, it's a practice. Uh, I know Thich Nhat Hanh always said it was a practice. Uh, I, I know that. Uh, folks here that definitely look upon it as religion and to me it's it's kind of splitting hairs yeah not, not jim's hairs but <laughs> anyway, thank you for a really good talk um, oh, well, thank you and it's and it's uh, so so good to see you linda yeah it's good to be here
Oh, Dora Lee, how are you, <laughs> how are you feeling? Oh, thank you. Um, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm, I'm still in some pain. I had oral surgery oh. this morning, so uh, oh. that's why I'm here and not there. <laughs> so, but I'm okay. Thanks for asking. Um, I really loved your talk and I was especially struck and you said something just now about, you know, living from your experience. But I, I just felt there were so many twists and turns in your life where you just were sort of open to what came to you. You know, even the kayaking and learning about a whole sport and then going into yoga and then reading the Bhagavad Gita and you know, it's sort of like, you know, the sense of you're moving and and turning towards what's being offered to you and that that is really what, you know, opened up this whole path. And it's just really lovely. Either that or I'm easily swayed. But... <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I Well, yeah, I. Thank you. <laughs> I guess, yeah. That's, I'm um... glad you can hear it that way. And. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean that is the journey right we start with not knowing yeah. and and out of that not knowing then you know we can ex you know something expands and and we learn yes and you know that's you know it's I, I yeah I, I imagine I share that with just about everybody here, you know I mean because we're uh, I, I would only imagine that we're all converts, mm -hmm. you know uh, you know we all came from something else, you know found found a path that resonated and followed it and it's worked well for us, you know. Um, and it's working. Yeah, it, it works. Thank you. Barb Waden. Thank you. You're welcome. I really enjoyed your talk, Dave, and it's wonderful to get to know you. And now you're telling me that, or you told me last week when we started sewing together, Dave is working on his Rakasu and is working towards Yukai, which is taking the Bodhisattva vows. And he's doing really marvelously with that. Um, I was really uh, drawn to your um, finding universal, finding Buddhism even in your Christian origins. Uh, I too have those Christian or origins and, and I can go back and listen to those, that Christian message with my family who's much more traditional and hear Buddhist messages in that. I can hear Buddhism. I can hear the, uh, the thread of Buddhism even there. And I think that's a, uh, that, oh, that you've had that and that the grounding that you had in your Christianity and the lessons of ethics and morality and good-heartedness that you learned from your parents. Um, it's been a wonderful path and continues to be, and thank you so much for sharing it with us. Well, you're welcome, and thank you. And I give thanks every day for the wonderful family I was fortunate enough to be born into. I truly do. Um, 
uh, as a number of you, may, I, I think, know, you know, I work for an organization that uh, works to uh, offer support to kids in the foster care system. And uh, yeah, every day at work, it just drives home how fortunate I, I you know, I, I, I have been to uh, just to who to, to people I was born to. Oscar. Hi, Dave. So that was one of the most structured. Um, Boy seeking mind talks, I think I've ever heard. Thank you very much. Uh, I, you know, was, uh, I know you worked on it and thought about it. I mean, you told us, but it would be, it was clear um, that you had done a lot of thinking about your past and put together a really nice story. And I also was very moved um, by your initial initial chapters of your life and, and your experience with Christianity and your um, and the homelies that that you gave us uh, tonight they're just a beautiful um, summary of Christ's teachings um, I, I had a very weak Christian background but I, uh, but I also absorbed, I think, the same attitude of, geez, Christ was quite a dude, but what's all this other stuff? <laughs> uh, it took a while to get through the other stuff. Um, and I was very moved also. Uh, uh, I don't know whether Zen is a religion or not. Um, but I, I was taken by your belief that there's something somewhere for which you have no name that keeps the whole thing afloat. And um, to me, that's the spiritual sensibility, that sense of there's something big going on and it's beyond comprehension, but it sure is amazing. And I want to get next to that as much as I can. Um, and it was just just really uh, gratifying to hear your story. You know, I've known you for a couple of years, I guess. Not well. Uh, just little smatters and of, of where you've been and what you're doing. And I really enjoy it and I'm grateful and appreciate hearing this marvelous story of, uh, of your life. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Oscar. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, sitting and trying to absorb the, the teachings on relate to our consciousness and interconnectedness. Um, I think, you know, more and more as, you know, as we sit longer and uh, yeah, over time, um, certainly the 
the feelings, the, the inclination of, of what, whatever it is, uh, like Lao Tzu said, I don't know what to call it, so I'll just call it the Tao. <laughs> and um, just, yeah, yeah, the way. And here we are, followers, followers of the way. Um, me blabbering on in a way-seeking way mind talking. <laughs>